Welcome to the J Crypto Audio Experience. First off, thanks for coming. Second off, I want to congratulate you for investing in the education of blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, decentralized finance, all those terms that when you first hear you go, what the hell does that mean? Blockchain is a technology shift, guys. Once in a lifetime opportunity. This is Malibu beachfront property, $1,000 per the acre. Now, to take advantage of it properly, you got to invest in that education. And that's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. So let's learn together. All right. This is Jay Crypto once again. And it's... About 5 a.m. in the morning, 5.38 a.m. in the morning, I have my coffee. We got all of our data ready to roll for some videos today. And I have a few things written down here that I would love to share with you guys and girls, of course. Uh, before we begin, let me just start off by saying I am not a financial advisor. I am simply an entertainer. And that is it. So please take all of this as entertainment. <laughs> all right. So DeFi, decentralized finance, is really my wheelhouse, folks. In fact, it's funny because we look back at the iPhone and we see that some of the earliest applications built on the iPhone were games and things like, you know, you, you turn your iPhone to the side and it looks like you're filling up a, a cup of beer, right? We go back to early Facebook before businesses would use it as a means to advertise. Do you remember that? And there was things like Farmville and games are kind of like the way I look at it. You know, I hear some of my friend's parents and they say, <laughs> They say things like, and you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult now, so we go out, we have, you know, we have to drink together or whatever. And it's really funny because I hear them still say some sometimes, right, that they're just never going to come around to games. Like games are just a waste of time. And it's funny because I think... Maybe the younger generation can appreciate games a little bit more because an infrastructure has been built where people make just like sports. People have games as a way out. It's a way to make a potential. It's like a dream job, right? It's a dream job for a lot of kids to become an esports gamer, to get a scholarship for being a gamer and it's a huge industry that's coming and and though that's a different topic for a different time the reason why i wanted to mention games was actually due to its predictive nature of technology so when we start to see games being built on the blockchain it's a magnificent sign folks in fact i would argue that it's actually a healthy sign of a very productive and um, potentially dominant or disruptive technology on the come up. So, DeFi. I wanted to put a few more things on your radar for DeFi. 
you know, I post these videos. I have some people that uh, I show how to do yield farming to and family and friends who have a little extra capital on the side and they just want to get into yield farming and whatnot. And I always tell them that they could lose everything. So start small, aggressively small, and do that so you can learn that it isn't a scam. <laughs> do that so you can see some returns and then know that even if you see some returns, just remember that this is still very risky because just because a project is good and the team is good uh, and you're seeing some returns doesn't mean that there aren't malicious actors out there trying to steal your information, trying to steal your 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 private keys and and all that good jazz, right? Uh, we at the J Crypto show just don't want to be naive. And I say that with love. So something I wanted to put on your radar today, which you may not have heard of, was auto compounding yield aggregators. This is a concept that's been played around with and hasn't been perfected yet. In fact, what is perfection? Am I right? <laughs> Even if something works very well, we may still see it evolve. Even if something is seamless, we may still, as humans, get a little greedy for a little extra action. And that's the beautiful part about the capitalistic nature of the blockchain. And some of the developers that I've met along the way, these are some of the biggest capitalists. These, these are some of the tech, you know, nerdiest guys I know. And they are such fundamental capitalists, folks. And it's beautiful to watch as they come up with ideas and develop products and communicate it on their discords and telegrams. It's so fun to just interact with these guys. It really is. I mean that. So that being said, what is an auto compounding vault or an auto compounding yield aggregator? Well, to get there, let me start somewhere else. So what you have is a very interesting series of words I'm about to describe to you. And if some of them don't make sense, just hang in there. Okay. <laughs> so at its simplest form, we're going to need to understand what liquidity providers and liquidity pools are. Now, if you know what a liquidity provider is, and you know what a liquidity pool is, Hopefully, I add a little bit of an extra twist to give you some value here and throw some other decentralized exchanges maybe you haven't heard of. So a liquidity pool or a liquidity provider, excuse me, is somebody that owns an underlying asset and they provide that asset as a means for liquidity to an overall pool where there's a market that is trading that asset for another asset. The easiest example I can give you is going to have to start off the blockchain. So 
we take something like Robin Hood or maybe you have a Meritrade or maybe if you're from the older generations, you have some brokerage that I haven't even heard of or maybe maybe it's just something something so far back that I'm just not even used to it and you can't even access it on your mobile device. You have to call somebody to place a market buy or a market sell and you can't do it yourself and uh, um, and that's fine too. In that kind of environment, what you have is very a very interesting thing. And the reason why I got into crypto was actually when I started to understand this. So let's take Robinhood. Let's think for a second. Let's just think objectively. And I'm not going to expose some of the answers I found out when I thought about these things. I, I encourage you to go look it up and figure out if this is true or not. This is not a tinfoil hat. I just want us to think about what our money's doing. That's it. <laughs> so if we go to Odd the Robin Hood and you are, let's say that you own Tesla, okay? Well, Robin Hood is a place that you can buy Tesla shares. So what is that? What is that platform? What is that platform that takes your money when you buy a Tesla share and gives you a quote unquote Tesla share. And what is that share? How do you know that it's legit? How do you know it's in your portfolio? Well, you see it electronically on your dashboard that you own a certain amount of shares or notes of the asset that is an, uh, a form of uh, equity for Tesla. Okay, so you're trusting that Robinhood has liquidity of Tesla shares and you're trusting that you can buy those Tesla shares on the Robinhood platform and that once you do, those shares are now legally yours. And I'm not saying not to trust that. It's actually very uh, logical in its in its form. And if you research Robinhood, I'm sure it's it's pretty legit. But my problem comes into when you take something like crypto. And this is why I think a platform like Robinhood is inching closer and closer to, you know, let me just give you this example because this is going to blow your minds. On Robinhood, you can buy Bitcoin, but you can't send your Bitcoin outside of Robinhood. And if you're that new to crypto, it's important to be able to send your Bitcoin outside of Robinhood because if it's your property and you want to send it places, then it's very important that you have the accessibility to get your Bitcoin and send it somewhere. And I don't mean for a transaction. I mean, if you want to put some Bitcoin in an IRA, what Robinhood will probably do is, you know, they'll probably inch towards having their own IRA options so you can keep it all in-house. Why would they do this? Well, think about it. Do they even have to own Bitcoin? Or do they just have to promise you a derivative that tracks the value of Bitcoin so that way when you go to sell your Bitcoin, you just get money back, fiat. Because in this example, they would never actually need to own any Bitcoin. They place the price of Bitcoin, 30000 you can buy Bitcoin from us. 
boom, you say, okay, I'll buy 10 Bitcoins. So you go $300,000 into Robinhood. Now it says on your portfolio that you own uh, 10 Bitcoin. That's awesome, man. Good for you. But if you think about it, you can't send it. You can't store it privately. You can't put it into your Roth IRA. And you can't move it around. So what happens if you want to leverage some of that Bitcoin? I don't know, to buy an investment property. Well, you have a problem because <laughs> you're going to have to sell it. So what happens if it appreciates before you leverage it? Then you're getting a capital gains tax. And I'm not an accountant. I'm just telling you some basic knowledge. So that being said, this is why having real crypto on places like Coinbase, even KuCoin and Binance is so important, folks. Because you want to own your own Bitcoin. And another thing, guess what, guys and girls? I don't know if Robinhood works like this, but my assumption is it does. Since it's trading just a derivative of Bitcoin. When you go onto Robinhood and you place a trade or stash, stash is another one with the stock market. You only have a certain amount of hours that that market order can fill. But what's great about cryptocurrency, right, is the fact that you have a 24-7 market and you have liquidity 24-7 and it's all done through the blockchain. So you don't need these brokers, you don't need these people placing orders, you don't need these computers. It's all done through the blockchain. So now, if you think about it, this is my thesis, ready? I don't like to write, so that's why I'm doing this podcast too. I just want to put some of these thoughts into a platform and hopefully put them into a book one day. But this is my thesis. What cryptocurrency really is, what blockchain cryptos are, what these decentralized autonomous organizations are, it's just an early version. Or uh, excuse me, stocks it's an, it, cryptos are a more advanced version of stocks, a more transparent version of stocks. I think all companies are going to tokenize their shares because this gives them the ability to have 24-7 liquidity. And I think that's a beautiful thing. We will probably see the greatest rewrites of rules in in our financial and fiscal history as humans in the coming times. The reason for this is our monetary policy has completely changed. And every time that monetary policy changes, my uh, encouragement is to go look what happens. <laughs> go look what happens. Guys, the reason why they can't regulate crypto in 2021 is because or they or let me, let me rephrase. The reason why they haven't regulated cryptocurrency and blockchain activities as much as we would expect or as much as they will, I guess we could also say in 2021 is simple. It's because they don't know how to yet. Based on our current economic policies, crypto is something that the SEC has a hard time touching. The reason why is these principles behind uh, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum 
where they're where it's a self-driven machine it's not like a company you don't have a ceo sure you have like vitalik buterin for ethereum no one knows who created bitcoin and you could go to vitalik buterin but since it's a decentralized network it's very difficult for us to like uh for that to be like touched at all by the sec so that being said they will regulate crypto in fact it's something that we're all watching in the crypto space i'm watching it every day and i'll report to you guys what i can find but my assumption is again let's not be naive at this okay the government's have historically done things and i'm not again this is not tinfoil tinfoil jack there is a certain amount of order that needs to be upheld in society for society to function governments whether they've abused this principle that we've all bought into or whether they've not abused it and they've used it just enough to make society work what the blockchain is about to do to governments is take a lot of leverage away from them. So it's an interesting time and banks as well as central banks. So it's an interesting time because we're about to see some, like I said, some of the greatest rewriting of the current rule books that we could ever imagine. And blockchain and crypto isn't, what I call an infinite technology, where it's ever expanding. I mean, if you just look at things that I'm talking about at the beginning of this podcast, they weren't around five years ago. Like they weren't even a thought when blockchain was first coming out. But now with DeFi, it's becoming more and more of a thought. And there's there's so much to uncover in decentralized finance that I can tell you guys about and girls. Um, it's like, imagine that blockchain and crypto is space and the SEC and I don't know, the world banks and some of the biggest governments in the world are trying to explore that space, but they're still stuck on earth. They, they haven't even, they haven't even begun to, to reach where, where I don't know, some a planet like Jupiter is. And not to mention the fact that space is always expanding. That's what we're told in school. And if that's true, then they're never really going to be able to catch up because something is going to you know, continue to come. And once they catch up to that, they're going to have to rewrite the, the, rewrite the book for the next thing. They aren't going to be regulating crypto under the current book. This is the point I'm trying to make. They're going to be regulating crypto under the next, the sequel. And that's the punchline. So let's get back to business. You have Robinhood that has a derivative of Bitcoin and you're trusting that it's real Bitcoin. You're trusting it's backed by real Bitcoin. But if somebody's buying and somebody's selling, then think about this. If you just create a derivative market with enough liquidity to start, then in essence, whenever another person is added to the pool and buys and sells Bitcoin, you're good as the Robinhood in this example because the liquidity is being added by the users. 
okay? And Robinhood's taking a little fee every transaction. They don't even need to own Bitcoin since they don't give you the ability to send that Bitcoin off the exchange. So what's great about this is if you're Robinhood, what's great, for maybe, not for no, maybe not for long, but you have an infinite repeat cycle of taking the fees off of people who are buying and selling Bitcoin every single day. And since they're not taking any liquidity off the exchange, then all the liquidity that's on the exchange will just be transferred over to the next person that buys liquidity. So though Robinhood will have a inherent responsibility because if 100 people buy a derivative of Bitcoin and they keep buying it and they keep buying it, then yes, they will need liquidity behind that. So it's probably, uh, I would imagine that they have some form of Bitcoin, hopefully, but you don't really see it in that state. On a centralized exchange, what you got is a place like Coinbase buying Bitcoin from miners in wholesale and allowing you guys to trade it. And they're making the fees. On a decentralized exchange, you have these things called liquidity pools. Now, liquidity pools are interesting because what that allows you to do is it actually allows you as a user to supply the liquidity. So if somebody's trading Bitcoin and Ethereum, okay, it allows, let's say that Johnny and Bill are trying to buy and sell Bitcoin into Ethereum respectively. And let's say Jill and Joanne, or let's just say Jill, right? Let's say that Jill provides liquidity to the decentralized exchange from uh, that she provides Ethereum and Bitcoin. Well, what she will do, okay, so the decentralized exchange doesn't have to provide any liquidity, which is great. And the reason why it's great is because it's self-driven by the market. And it also gives people the ability to act as the Robin Hood. And it also gives you the ability to send and hold and see real property, uh, you know, factoids in your crypto in real time. You get to have it. It's not a derivative. You get to trade it 24-7, not to mention. So Jill providing Ethereum and Bitcoin is in the form of what's called a liquidity pool token. To create an LP token, you get basically go to the platform, whatever you're trading on. So let's say that it's something like Uniswap or PancakeSwap or even something like one inch, right? Well, what you do is you take your Ethereum and Bitcoin. Let's say that you have $50 of Ethereum and $50 of Bitcoin and you want to give $100 of liquidity to the pool. Well, most liquidity pool tokens are made of 50-50 uh, percentages. So you provide 50% Bitcoin, 50% Ethereum, and boom, now you put 50 ETH, 50 Bitcoin, and you have a liquidity pool token that's made up of both of those worth 100 bucks. Okay, Every time that somebody on that platform trades Ethereum and Bitcoin, you're making a little piece of the action in place of Robinhood. So it gives people the ability to not only hold an asset that appreciates, but also to self-run uh, a dividend that is spit out to them based on volume and volatility. So it's also a great way to create these, what I call, I don't know about you, but these indexes. So I call these things indexes because what an index is usually, if you think about an index fund 
or an index, whatever, you know, the word we can use it, we can Shakespeare it, but it's holding multiple assets in one asset, right? So you can create these micro index uh, pools, if you will, where you have Bitcoin and Ethereum, where you have Bitcoin and I don't know, I'm not going to even say I was, I'm going to catch myself. You guys know I'm not a big Dogecoin guy other than the culture. I like the culture, but I just, ugh, like it's such a bad investment, guys. It really is. That's not financial advice. <laughs> it may go up. I'm not saying it won't go up, but like you guys got to get educated if you're invested in Dogecoin. And if you are, I'm not judging you because I do know that some people may invest in it because it's making news and there is fundamentals behind Elon Musk doing stuff with the team. And from that perspective, then yes, I respect your intelligence. I respect that you're educated enough to to you know know what it is. But if you just are getting into crypto and you think all these things are just coins made up and they're just crypto, you know, things like Dave Portnoy said like two months ago. And I love Dave Portnoy, by the way. So shout out to Dave Portnoy. But I mean, you just hear the guy and gosh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you can tell that he's just not educated on some of these things. And that's fine. I mean, he's a busy guy, but I mean, stay away from the Dogecoin, guys. If you're if you're not educated on crypto and you're not educated on Dogecoin, if you are and you're still invested in it, then maybe you're doing it because you actually think it will do well. And in that respect, I, again, respect your decision. You got to trust yourself. You got to go with your gut. Ooh, that's my Dogecoin rant. You're going to hear it all the time on the show. Um, I apologize to any Doge army participants uh, if you're offended by that. But I'm just, it's tough love. Okay. So, anyways, folks, back to business. So, basically, what we got going on is these LP tokens, these little index funds. You can get Ethereum and Bitcoin. You can get, let's say, Bitcoin and a crypto like eos or a crypto like um you know what would be a good one is like an nft type of crypto like engine and you can basically now guess what you have 50 percent of bitcoin and 50 percent of another crypto like eos earning you a yield and that way if one of your assets drops and one of them does well well guess what you got some protection because you're hedging so another cool part about these LP tokens is think about it this way. With something like synthetics, you're, you have the ability to mint what's called synthetic assets. And that's a derivative of another asset. And they use protocols like Chainlink or Band to, as oracles to bring in data, live price action for these assets. And I'm not going to get into the way that they mint these assets, but these assets are structured. So think of Tesla, right? You can create a cryptocurrency synthetic asset of Tesla that will track the value of Tesla no matter what happens in the market, no matter what day it is, okay? And think about it this way, guys. There's constant, like this Tesla, I guess, synthetic asset is actually backed by a certain number of what is called synthetics, which is the underlying asset to mint these assets. So there's actually liquidity behind the token. And that's where it's getting its volatile nature from or its value from. And it's very interesting in that way, in that respect. So moving back to LP tokens and index LP tokens, which is very an interesting concept. If somebody wants to trade synthetic versions of other assets like gold or Tesla or, or even a 
I don't know, a, a, a writ, a real estate trust, something that's out there in public and we can grab data from. And right now it's pretty basic stuff, just stuff on like the Dow or the NASDAQ. But just wait until you can live or oil, but just wait until you can live action trade the price of a certain uh, pack of sports cards through a derivative asset, pair it with Bitcoin and literally have that as your LP token. It's about to get really crazy. And it's not just going to be like, so you now you have an index of, let's say, Tesla and Bitcoin, right? Well, guess what? If, te- if Bitcoin goes to nothing, well, that's a bad example, though, because Tesla and Bitcoin are pretty well correlated. But think of something that's not well correlated with Bitcoin, right? Something that's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now you kind of negate against the volatility and you and you are getting rewarded in the yield, rewarded in the yield because every time somebody trades on that platform just like Robinhood we get the premium of the trading fee you're actually now getting that premium of the trading fee and all the liquidity pool providers in that pool are getting the liquidity of the trading fee so it's a pretty interesting concept now what happens okay what happens J crypto if uh, everyone buys up, takes their Ethereum and buys up, you know, Bitcoin. Well, the entire liquidity pool actually will benefit. And the reason why is because that kind of volume and volatility will increase the incentive APYs. Most of these uh, DEXs have a tokenomic standard that will actually increase the interest that you gain from the fees. And if there's not enough liquidity, number one, it'll show that there's not enough liquidity for the trade. Number two, it'll incentivize the market to supply Ethereum to these liquidity trading pools. Now, the risk comes if you're in an asset, maybe not like Ethereum and Bitcoin, but maybe an asset that no one's heard of. And the APY is just so big and you want to try it. Well, if that project gets rug pulled or it fails and that one of those assets goes to zero, there is a chance that you will not recover any of your funds and that's where you need to be careful so what are auto compounding volts man i love this podcast in the morning because i know i get sidetracked sometimes but it sure is fun to talk about these things with you folks um so these auto compounding volts are interesting on pancake swap if you provide ethereum and bitcoin you're earning a yield of around 20 percent and what are you getting paid in? Well, the truth is, like I mentioned, these DEXs, the difference between this and Robinhood is very interesting. You actually, with these DEXs, have a certain set of tokenomics with their inherent token. So PancakeSwap, if you're here for the first time and you're in crypto for the first time, probably sounds ridiculous. I get it. Believe it or not, it's one of the most reputable decentralized exchanges out there. In fact, I, last time I checked, there was around $10 billion of locked value, which is insane. So now that I've legitimized the name PancakeSwap, let's move on. The fact is that when you provide liquidity, Ethereum and Bitcoin, let's say, and you're earning 11%, you own the assets in a liquidity pool token. So it's, you know, it's, it's like a 50% Ethereum, 50% Bitcoin. And you're making yield. You're making 11% to be precise. So that means if you have $100,000 in there, 
then you should be making about $11,000 of of yield. Now, here's the tricky part. PancakeSwap doesn't pay you out in Ethereum and Bitcoin. They pay you out in what's called Cake Token. Okay. Now, this is their native token. And their tokenomics of Cake Token are very interesting. It's, it's pretty simple. Basically, they pay out their farmers, is what they call, I know I just sprung that word on you, but liquidity pool providers, aka farmers, okay? That one, that's one that you might hear. They pay their farmers in Cake Token. The platform makes enough from the fees generated, and they actually invest their own funds in these projects and liquidity pools. So they're making some profits from the fees as well. They take some of their profits and they pay their developers, and then they take the rest of their profits and they're actually burning their own supply of tokens. As they burn the supply of tokens, this takes the tokens out of the circulating supply. What this will do, guys, is this will bring up the price of the pancake token. This is a cycle of wealth that as long as people are using the pancake token and using pancake swap, then pancake swap will make enough profits that the token of uh, pancake swap will go up. And there is a cap supply on pancake swap as well. Uh, so that's kind of how the you know protocol was built. And you'll see that the protocol can be changed on pancake swap, but only if enough people vote on it. And to vote, all you need to do is hold cake tokens so if you hold enough cake tokens then your voting power actually increases so that's called self-governance through the um through the blockchain where people actually gain the ability to vote based on how much stake they have in the company and that's actually a very interesting concept that has been around and there's shareholder meetings but the difference is the transparency and the level of accessibility has greatly increased with doing this through the blockchain. So if you get paid out in Cake Token, the problem with that is Cake Token is a cryptocurrency that's deeply connected with Bitcoin, just like all cryptocurrencies currently are. So this means if Bitcoin goes way down, Cake will go way down. So if you're not using that yield on a daily basis and and swapping that yield into something like USDC or into Bitcoin or whatever you want, it's going to stay in cake. So just because you're making $11,000 a year doesn't mean that when you go to claim it, it's going to be $11,000. It could be $1,000 if cake really drops, or it could be $100,000 if cake really rises. So this is where auto compounding comes in. Auto compounding was a concept that was basically introduced probably a while back, but maybe like a few years back or thought of. But it really hasn't been implemented at a scale where the average person in DeFi is familiar with it until maybe March of this year or maybe, I guess, maybe like last November for people really early. So with auto compounding vaults, what they do is they farm these liquidity pool tokens. You give your LP tokens to the vault. They they basically, you know, charge you a fee of every so let me explain the process. So you give your LP tokens to the vault. What they do is now they provide the liquidity to the exchange. And then as they're getting, you know, income. So as they're getting cake tokens and that BTC and ETH example, what they're doing with that cake is they're actually taking it and they're swapping it into liquidity pool tokens. And then the protocol, it's not somebody doing this. This is all automated 
through the protocol so you can trust it based on the transparency that you can look it up on the blockchain blockchain and make sure that you're getting the fair amount which people do and what you can do though is you, basically as as the vault owner you're charging the person that is using your service basically a little bit of a premium on the APY or the yield to auto compound right away so that way it doesn't sit the uh, yield doesn't sit in cake and instead it goes right back into LP tokens so now with depositing ETH and BTC you're earning ETH and BTC through this auto compounding process a lot of these vaults or auto compounding you know protocols are going to be very scammy and are going to be very risky the reason for this is due to its uh, inherent young nature and just very immature type of feature that was developed on top of the platform that is DeFi. So if you're following me so far, you can see the potential of this because now you can deposit these, these uh, LP indexes, earn yield, and not have to do a single thing. And a lot of these platforms actually will incentivize you through additional rewards for example i know b earn has what they call b vaults now at one point this year b vaults had about a hundred million dollars locked in it and though a few things have happened to to the market and to b five to slow down they still have a good chunk of money in, invested into the uh the overall b vaults so what they have in b five is a few different assets or native tokens and they actually incentivize you to use the B vaults and auto compound by giving you additional rewards in the form of their native tokens. For example, they have this one token that's worth about $70 called BFI. It's their governance token. And they have a really cool set of tokenomics that gives their overall ecosystem the ability to earn profit and buy back that token from the market which will increase the price, but also allow them to incentivize their products by redistributing it to people invested in it. And um, the tokenomics of something like B-Vault are interesting too, because some of these vaults, what they'll do is if they are just launching the vault and they want to get their native tokens out there and start to like, because one thing I forgot to mention is if you own this BFI token that's worth about $70 and it's a government token for B-Vaults, then you can actually stake that and you can earn. Uh, all, remember how I said all the fees will like there's going to be a premium given to the vault owner. So if BEARN.FI is the vault owner, what they're going to do with some of that fee is they're going to basically allow like a little bit of a buyback to of the bfi token for the market not only to give to incentivize the vaults but to give to the people that stake the governance token so what they'll do and this is all going to make sense in a second hopefully if not go back about 30 seconds maybe like three or four times to try to listen to that again but what they'll do is they'll incentivize you through their tokenomics to basically uh so they'll stake you'll you'll basically stake your BFI tokens, right? You're going to earn BFI because the vaults are generating income. And instead of giving you let's say I don't know 100% of the LP that they're making on on your 
investment. So if you have BTC and ETH and you give them your LP and then they deposit it in something like PancakeSwap, well, you might only make an auto compound of around 25% of your LP yield. And this is just due to when the vaults are younger. The reason why is because since it's linked so closely to their governance token, if it's a fair distribution token, like BFI was, so with BFI, they didn't have a private sale, if you will. They did a fair distribution, I'm pretty sure. Maybe they did an IDO on PancakeSwap, but still, they haven't released the full supply of BFI. So the reason why this is important is because they don't want to have people earning a lot of BFI to dump on the market. So instead of giving you, if you're staked, if you stake your BFI, 100% of the APY that they say they will, they'll give it to you in what's called locked BFI. So this will allow the stakers to not, you know, earn 100% of their BFI instead of only about maybe 25%. And then 75% will get locked up for, I don't know, a certain amount of time, be vested over time. Whew, that was a tough one to explain. And it gets deeper than that. In fact, I can go into BEARN.FIs, BVAULTS. Once I feel a little more comfortable with them, I still feel like it's a little bit of a rocky uh, rocky road for, for all auto compounding, yield, aggregating vaults. But you can see the potential. And I would encourage you all to go check out some of these some of these vaults, some of these some of these auto compounding yield aggregators, just to just to see the sheer potential of these products. And I mean, yeah, that's what I got for you guys. So I mean I hope that this was this was a little bit um this was this was a little bit helpful there. And basically, an auto compounding vault gives you the ability to supply liquidity to a pool and not have to have the hassle of going and checking your laptop every day, your desktop, and clicking on harvest for your yield that pays out daily. So if you're getting $10, so right, so like some of these yields are pretty high. So you might be making 1% of your money a day. If you're making 1% of your money a day, then you're making 10000 uh, you're making a $10 of yield per $1,000 that you have in the liquidity pools. If you're making $10 a day, instead of just, you know, comp or instead of just harvesting that, swapping it out into both $5 of ETH and Bitcoin, imagine if you could just have somebody just go and do that for you all the time. So every, I don't know, six or 10 hours, they're doing it uh, for you. I mean, that would be great, right? then you would have to do far less and it's a protocol so now you don't have to worry about it you can just lock it up and see what happens in 10 years and i think that's something that especially the older generation i find who have a lot of money and don't have the time are very interested in and uh that's what an auto compounding vault is that's lp for you that's j crypto for you this is the morning j crypto show take care